Hi, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. We're live, and we're back. And boy, do we have a lot to get to today. My name is John Zaglul, your host for the evening. John Meadows is directing and producing. He's here with me. It's great to be back. It's great to see everybody. Remember, you can subscribe to the channel. Uh, hit that like button. Set up notifications so you don't miss a thing. We can also be followed on Twitch and Facebook. We're also live right there at John Zaglul. Uh, find us on Twitter at John Z Sports, Instagram as well at John Z Sports, and TikTok at John Z Sports too. I want to open up with a little bit of an update. I appreciate all of you for supporting me. Uh, very sick. There are bugs and viruses and bacteria, all the good stuff going around around this time of year. So we couldn't make it the past couple of weeks, but I am well. I am better. I appreciate the patience and the support from everybody, uh, John included over here, helping me out and uh, giving me the right time and the way to recover. And now we're back. Uh, we've missed a lot. We have so much to get to today. We're going to be talking about the Bears and what's been going on with them. Should the Bears trade Justin Fields? There's been a lot of talk about that, some silliness, some maybe not so silly. We're going to break that down. What are the Bears' expectations for next year? A lot of people have said, oh, I'll be okay with five or six wins. I think not. Plus, a long, maybe a morose conversation about the Baseball Hall of Fame. The results came out yesterday. Our good friend, Billy Wagner, friend of the program, came up short at 68% with one year left to go of eligibility. I'm thinking he might get in next year. But the Hall of Fame elected Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland is now a Baseball Hall of Famer. How do you feel about that? When you think of the name Scott Rowland, do you think... Baseball Hall of Fame, do you think greatest player in baseball history? Well, apparently the voters did, and I'm going to explain why that was probably one of the more stupid decisions they've made in recent years. So you really don't want to miss it. I am all ramped up and ready to go. We got rants galore ready for you, and it's great to be back here with you today. So, want to start today with this. What do you think the Bears should do? This offseason, ever since the Bears won the pathetic yet needed first round, first overall pick marathon or parade, there have been questions. There have been things we've been discussing and debating. Should the Bears do this? Should they trade Justin Fields? Should they trade back? Should they stay there? I'm going to try and tell you today why the Bears should probably trade back, but why also the Bears could do the impossible, and it may not be as crazy as you think. So mock drafts are out there all over the place right now, trying to predict what the Bears will do, at least with that first-round draft pick, and how it'll affect Justin Fields and his long-term goals with this team. Now, Mel Kuyper, very well-respected in the NFL draft community, has said that the Bears will take Jalen Carter from Georgia, defensive player, and I've advocated for him and Will Anderson mainly from Alabama. We'll talk about them in a second. But other ones, including from CBS Sports, and the Raiders will trade with the Bears to pick C.J. Stroud. Some other mock drafts, even today, say the Bears will take a quarterback. you believe that even? Will the Bears take a quarterback? Will the Bears trade Justin Fields? These are things I've been hearing. These are things that have been out there by real experts, not just Twitter people, not just random rumors. They've been out there, and we need to discuss and address each one, of these th- each one of these things specifically. Understand what are the Bears' options, and would it be beneficial at all to trade Justin Fields? Would it be beneficial for the Bears to do anything in regards to that? Or should they just stick with Fields and move forward? Here's my take. If the Bears get a good enough offer for Justin Fields, 
if somehow, some way, some team says, I'm going to give you two first-round picks and maybe a fifth for Justin Fields, can you really say no? Can you really sit there with a straight face and say, you know what, you're crazy, I really love Justin Fields? Come on. That's my thing. Ever hear this before in life? There's a price for everything. There is a point in which you will give up something for the right price. Always hear those questions. Oh, I'll give you a million dollars if you do this. I'll give you a billion dollars if you do this. At some point, somebody will say yes. If you meet, if you exceed the asking price and overblow it, they're going to say yes. And if the Bears receive two first-round picks for Justin Fields, damn right, you say yes, I'm making that trade if I were Ryan Poles. That may be controversial. I put out a Twitter poll today. A lot of people were not happy about it. I asked, who is the better quarterback? Who would you rather have as a Bears quarterback today? Justin Fields, Brock Purdy, or draft pick? Everybody said Justin Fields. I do want to point this out, though. Brock Purdy, as a rookie, could not be any better. He is thriving out there in San Francisco. Now, I understand better roster, more weapons, but how about 13 touchdowns, four picks, and an NFC Championship game appearance in his rookie year with no experience? My point, my point being, something's got to change here. Something's got to change to the point where we see Justin Fields doing that. We're not there yet. I'm okay for advocating for patience, but I'm just saying, okay, time is ticking for Justin Fields. Time is ticking for this Bears team, and it starts today. And this is not meant to warn you. This is not meant to be a doomsday person type thing, but time starts ticking today. What are the Bears going to do? There's no more excuses. What will they do with this opportunity? What will they do with the first overall pick, 120-plus billion in cap space, Justin Fields, and potentially even a different quarterback? What will they do? Time starts today. You don't have much time. Better make the most of your opportunity. So it is worth, in some cases, having these conversations. As painful as they might be for some Bears fans, I would just say this. I'm a big fan of winning. I'm not a fan of certain people. I'm a fan of winning. Okay, Whatever the Bears have to do to win, that is what I'm going to take. That is what I'm going to do. So whatever is the best opportunity for the Bears to win, that's what I suggest they do. If it's going to be Justin Fields, if he's going to take a big leap in year three, awesome. Bears should keep him and hold on to him and Things will go well. But if the Bears receive a big offer for Fields and they could draft somebody, I say yes. If they don't believe Justin Fields could be the guy, I say, well, you might want to move on from him. The Bears have to advocate for winning this offseason, and that's the goal. So when you ask me, should the Bears train Justin Fields, my response will always be, what's the price? What's the asking price? What are you willing to give me for Justin Fields? That's all I'm saying. And if it's two first-round picks or more, you pull the trigger right away. Now, there are other needs the Bears have this offseason besides worrying or being concerned about quarterback. Bears have no edge rush. The Bears may not have a running back. Cole Komet is in his last year contract-wise. Oh, and by the way, you might need a linebacker, and you certainly need wide receivers. 
told this to one of my friends a couple of weeks ago. You know it's bad in Chicago when Simba Webster enters week 16 as your number one on the depth chart. <laughs> you need wide receivers, too. The Bears have money to spend. That's nice. How will they allocate it is another question. Reports saying that Saquon Barkley wants $16 million per year. Bears fans, do you want Ryan Poles to pay that kind of money for a running back who is injury-prone? I don't think so. I'd rather bring back David Montgomery $10 million. At least he's familiar, and at least he knows the vision of this team moving forward, and he's familiar with Justin Fields and his role in this offense. Stick with what you know. Don't venture out, pay more for somebody who's just not going to work, or who may not work. Take the guy for less money that you know what he's capable of doing. That's my thing. That's how I feel about it. So, Papa the Bears, I would focus more, at least right now, on David Montgomery, unless Saquon Barkley's price goes down. And if it does, then maybe it's worth looking at and bringing in somebody like Saquon or Miles Sanders, there are going to be a lot of names out there. I think David Montgomery's a quality running back, and I would say that if the Bears could keep him at the right price, you do it. And you don't hesitate. Familiar guy, been around the team for a long time. If he is reasonably asking for money, and it's not over the top, and it's not Saquon Barkley money, why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? You know what you'll get out of David Montgomery. There is a reason and there's an argument to be made for keeping him. Especially when this team goes places. Especially when you think about a new team in a couple of years. Can David Montgomery be an integral piece? I say yes. And I think that's exciting to see. One more thing, too. As I see many people not happy about what I, just said, what I said earlier. Just want to say this. For those of you insinuating, that the Bears could somehow make this one-for-one trade between Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson, I have to say, you are crazy. Not many of you have said it, but I've seen this make the rounds on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. People insinuating somehow, some way that the Bears will trade Justin Fields for Lamar Jackson straight up. I'm going to give you three reasons why that's a stupid trade for the Bears. Number one, Justin Fields is younger. Not as many injuries. Not as many problems. A younger guy, more fuel, more potential. Yes, Lamar Jackson was the MVP in 2019. What has he done since then? He's regressed. He's been hurt. Now he's demanding $50 million per year. Number two, the money. Do you want the Bears paying Lamar Jackson $50 million per year? $120 plus million in cap space. Half of that goes to one quarterback who may play 10 games. <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it. It makes no sense. No sense. And number three, we don't even know how Lamar will do in this system. We have no idea. It's built for Justin Fields right now. And you could say that they're similar players, but we don't know what Lamar's going to do. And I'll tell you what, if Luke Getzey runs Lamar Jackson as much as he ran Justin Fields, Lamar's going to play five games before he's hurt and done for the season. And he's hurt right now. Fields isn't hurt. Fields is healthy. There's reason number four. I just gave you four reasons why that trade would make no sense for anybody. So Bears fans, 
please, I ask you, as you evaluate these Twitter GMs and what they plan on saying, show them this clip, show them this video, tell them why, the four reasons why, it would make no sense for the Bears to do a one-for-one Lamar Jackson for Justin Fields trade, and why those talks should just be shut down. It makes no sense to do any of that. Not for the Bears and not even for the Ravens, really. I mean, the Ravens would be the winners of that trade. And that's not controversial to say. You could sit here and say, oh, well, the record and career. Yes, well, you know what, Lamar Jackson, as of late, since 2020, has been nothing special. 2021, 16 touchdowns, 13 picks. Even Justin Fields had a better year this year than that. He did. 17-11. Now, Justin Fields actually recently has even outperformed Lamar Jackson. And Ravens fans don't want to hear it, but show me where I'm wrong. Look at the numbers these past two years. Look at this year head-to-head. Or compare 2021 Lamar to 2022 Fields. Fields is the better QB. And Fields is younger. And has more time to develop. And has a team right now that is catering to him. You do not trade that for somebody who's always hurt demanding more money and has more miles put on him and who's going to run more and probably get hurt earlier in the season. So you're going to pay $50 million for somebody who's going to play six games for you. It makes no sense. And I am so sick of that argument being made. So as we sit here and evaluate what the Bears will do this offseason, I think it's pretty clear at this point. If you get the right price for Justin Fields, you trade him. If not, either move back or draft somebody defensively with that number one overall pick. Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, it's fine by me. But do something to improve your team. You have so many holes. More than you want to admit to the media and the fans. But it's true. Probably have six or seven spots that could see or need improvement. There's a lot the Bears have to do. But they have a prime opportunity to get all that done. It's time for Ryan Poles to show off his true colors, and it's time for the Bears fans to stop being patient and start demanding more from their franchise. And I think that's the way Bears faithful and really the NFL should be evaluating this Bears offseason. Take a look at some of your comments here. Appreciate all of you hanging with us and tuning in. Somebody told me the blank you're talking about Brock Purdy for. Well, I'm talking about Brock Purdy because I am thoroughly impressed with what he's done so far this year. In the limited time he's had, 13 touchdowns, four picks, leading the 49ers to an NFC championship game. Now, you could say, oh, it's not all on Purdy. He has weapons. No matter what, this guy's some rookie. The last overall pick... In the 2022 draft, and now all of a sudden he's in the NFC Championship game. That is beyond impressive. So that's why I'm talking about Brock Purdy. I've never seen anything like that before. Maybe Tom Brady, I guess. But even then, his first year wasn't like this. Maybe Ben Roethlisberger, but again with him, top pick. Brock Purdy, last overall pick in the NFL draft, and now is in the NFC Championship game because of him. Because of his performance and what he's done. That's why I'm talking about Brock Purdy. And I will ask Bears fans, and I know the situations are different, but what has Justin Fields done in comparison to Brock Purdy? 
something you got to think about. Don't care how controversial that is. Settle for more. Stop settling for worse. Justin Fields, this year is going to be another prove-it year, and I think he will improve, and he's done good this year, but still, compare him to other guys his age, other guys in his position, and he does have stuff to work on, not a doubt. Uh, Mel Kuyper says we will keep the number one pick. Yeah, right now he does, and other people say the Bears are going to trade it. Some are saying quarterback, some are saying defensive guy, Bill Anderson, Jalen Carter. At the Bears stand number one, and they are confident in Justin Fields. You draft one of those two, you won't regret it. Defensive superstar, something certainly the Bears are going to need this year. Now, there's no doubt about it. The Bears need help there. Appreciate all of you tuning in with us, by the way. And remember to keep commenting, like that video, subscribe, and we'll read your comments here on the air as we go through each of our segments here tonight live on Sports Talk Chicago. John Meadows here directing and producing. I'm John Zaglou. I'm going to be hanging with you for the next 45 minutes as we go through some more topics and some more points of discussion on the program. Remember, you can also follow us at John Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at John Zaglou. On Facebook, support our sponsor to Amish Country Farms for the best milk, the best cheese, and fresh products from the Amish weekly. Check them out today in Orland Park and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. I want to move on to another Bears topic. Kind of touched on it last segment, but we're going to talk about it here again, and I'd love your opinion on this, so please comment. What are the Bears' expectations for 2023? What are some realistic expectations for this team come next year? I've heard people say six wins. I've heard people say, oh, Ryan Poles said it's going to be another lower year, another rebuilding type year, and we should give them more time. I call BS on that. I call BS on the whole thing. If the Bears are not contending for a playoff spot next year, it is a complete and utter failure. Complete failure. And I'm not afraid to say that. And you can quote me on this, and you can blow it up and trash me. It doesn't matter. If the Bears are not near or contending or in the playoffs in 2023, Ryan Poles should probably be fired. And you will not convince me otherwise in that opinion. Explain to me how somebody with $120 million in cap space, a big-time QB, as everybody says, and Justin Fields, and the number one overall draft pick should be 6-11, 6-12, or 5-12. is that okay? How should we accept that? How should we say, oh, that's fine. Makes sense, right? This is a golden opportunity for the Bears. This is a generational opportunity. Not a golden opportunity, a generational opportunity. When's the last time the Bears had the number one overall pick? 1947. 1947, black and white TV, no TV in the house. That was probably a nickel. It is time for the Bears to win next year. 9-8, and 10-7, and 8-9, they should be contending. And if you say no, or if somebody tells you, ah, five or six wins, and they're a shill, and they're in this for the Bears, and they're really supporting Ryan Poles, they're not telling you the truth. I've heard people on major radio stations, nationally, locally, say six or seven wins, five or six wins. It's another rebuilding year. Stop cutting them slack. 
It's time to produce. It's time to win. Why are we being so patient for somebody who finally has all the right pieces? The whole thing throughout time has been, they've never had the right situation. For quarterbacks, for GMs, for head coaches on this Bears team, everybody rushes to make an excuse for people. There are no more excuses. You cannot make any here. Number one overall pick, tons of money. Good enough to be, according to everybody. It's time to produce. Bears fans sat through and up this year. Bears fans watched their team become the worst team in the NFL, literally. I said it wouldn't happen. I actually put more faith in this team than the experts did. I put more faith in this team than the experts did. I went out on my edge and a limb and said, no, they wouldn't be the worst, and they were the worst, and I do apologize. There is no more, well, we'll see, well, there needs to be time, well, Ryan Poles doesn't have a good enough situation. That was the whole thing before. Right, right, Pulse came here and the Bears started sucking. They spent no money. Oh, well, it's a bad situation. And yeah, it was. Not anymore. He created a good situation. To his credit. So he knows what he's doing. And that's the good thing. We know he's capable of good things for this team. And that's the exciting part. But the scary part is still this. Get it right. Get it right. What are you going to do? How will you direct this team to being a contender? So I encourage all of you who are Bears fans, NFC North fans, NFL fans, when you follow the Bears in 2023, you better be asking the tough questions. I will be. We will be here. We're going to be wondering why everything happened, good or bad. You should be too. Bears fans to their credit, but also to their dismay, are always so in love with the people that are brought in. Everybody loved Lovey Smith. Everybody loved Mark Trespin. Everybody loved Matt Nagy. Not everybody loved John Fox, to their credit. But everybody loved everybody. Jerry Angelo, Phil Emery, Ryan Pace. My gosh. Ryan Poles. Quarterbacks. Justin Fields. Mitch Trubisky. Kate McNown. Rex Grossman, Brian Greasy, Kyle Orton, Jay Cutler. Everybody loves everybody, but yet nobody produces. We all love everybody. This guy's great. This guy's good. This guy we can defend. Oh, we didn't have this. He didn't have that. There's no more of it now. Results only. I said this about the Bulls a couple of years ago. And they had Jim Boylan. And that whole disaster of a front office, Garpax, that whole thing. And I said, where are the results? And then they gave Jim Boylan a contract extension. I said, where are the results? We are paying people to be mediocre. We are rewarding mediocrity. And Bears fans for years have been doing the same thing. It's time everybody takes a stand and says, you know what? We're tired of this BS. But also, we need to see results. We need to know how good this team is. Cordell Stewart. Yes, Cordell Stewart, another. And Cordell Stewart was a good QB, but not when the Bears, not when he came here. Career was over. It's time everybody wakes up and says, enough is enough. It's time everybody says, there are no more excuses. There's no more BS. There's no more, well, he didn't have this or that, and that's why it failed. No. 
There's no more excuse for failure. There's no more excuse for mediocrity. There's no more excuse for, well, they tried, but they didn't make it. Again, it's like Jim Boylan, right? He's really working them hard. And the Bulls lost 60 games. <laughs> no wonder why he was fired. Zach Levine didn't want anything to do with that. How can you say, how can you work your players so hard and then have them respond to a 60-loss season, right? Same thing here. The Bears have, to their credit, instilled a culture in this team. This team is ready for next year. They somehow, some way, again, to their credit, gotten rid of the whole Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace influence that was tearing apart this team and tearing apart the fan base. They've done a good job at getting away from that and being excited and making this team understand what's to come and having everybody buy into an idea that, hey, we're going to tank this year and be better next year. Now it's time to deliver. Now it's time to do it. So I'm issuing a challenge to Ryan Poles and company. And I don't think this is controversial. This isn't a mean challenge or malicious. It's just the truth and the fact of the matter. I'm issuing a challenge. Be 10-7 and seven next year. Make the wild card spot. Make it. You could lose week one. I don't care. You could lose on super wild card weekend. That's fine. But make it in. Hey, the Bears in 2020 with three different quarterbacks made the playoffs. With Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and Chase Daniel was still there even. They were 8-8. Eight and eight made the playoffs and actually had a chance and almost did beat the Saints. They almost did it in 2020. Why can't they do it this year with the number one overall pick, Justin Fields, and $120 million in cap space? There's no excuse. They had Matt Nagy, they had Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, Mitch Trubisky, an 8-8 eight and eight team, and they actually almost beat the Saints just a couple of years ago. Now you've got tons of money, a quote-unquote better QB, right? Money to spend, number one pick. You cannot justify to me six or seven wins, right? You cannot justify to me, oh, maybe they'll get a little bit better, but they won't be there yet. No, they should be there. They should be at a 10-win season. They should be contending, if not making, the last wild card spot in the NFC. If nine and eight was enough to make it this year for Seattle, then nine and eight or ten and seven will make it next year. The Bears should be there. The Bears should 100% be there, and I'm sick of just the, for lack of a better term, ball washing of Ryan Poles and of this entire Bears operation. Stop setting your expectations down to the ground. Shoot for the stars. And this isn't even shooting for the stars. Any other GM, any other team with this sort of situation would be aiming for the playoffs, would be aiming for the postseason. Cubs did it in 2015. They did. Tons of money. Top draft pick still because they sucked in 2014. Drafted Chris Bryant. Signed John Lester, won 97 games. Made it to the NLCS, lost, okay, fine. Next year, World Series. The Bears should be following the Eagles' path. Eagles, 2021, 9-7, 9-8, I'll barely make it in. They get bounced by Tampa Bay, fine, who cares? 
next year, well, now they're in the NFC Championship game. This is where the Bears should be going. And 10 wins is not unrealistic or impossible for this Bears team. So next time somebody tells you, I expect six or seven wins, tell them they're full of crap. And tell them that they might be a Ryan Paul shill. This Bears team should be good. And when you have this sort of situation, when you have this sort of momentum from fans, from players, from personnel, and then you have the money and, and the, the resources to back it up, there is no reason why they should be any worse than at least eight wins, maybe eight, nine even. I could accept eight and nine, but I can't accept seven and 10 or anything worse on that front. Take a look at some of your comments. Dan Tana, Dan, last first round pick was 1947, and my football number was 47. This is meant to be greatness to come in 2023, Dan, appreciate the donation as well. Dan Tana, good friend of the program, always hanging out with us. Appreciate the comment and the donation. 1947, the Bears' last first overall pick. And now they're here. This is why I said it's not even a golden opportunity. It's not, oh, this is great. It's a generational opportunity. I sure as hell wasn't alive in 1947. Well, is anybody even here right now watching were they alive in 1947? This is the first time many of us are ever seeing the Bears have that number one overall pick. That's exciting. That's great. It's generational, not golden. There's a difference. When they say somebody's a generational talent once in a lifetime, Michael Jordan, generational talent. This is a generational opportunity. A generational opportunity for this Bears team, and they got to do a good job here and understand how they're going to approach the situation. That's why I said, hey, 9-10 wins, they should be there. Last wild card spot, they should be there. It would really make sense that they do it. King Pookie Nation, I hope I'm still here when they open the stadium. That's right, opening the new stadium. Uh, Kevin Warren, new president hired by the Bears, and a lot of talk is about that right now. Will the Bears do the Arlington Heights deal? I know Chicago put out a press release, and a video claiming what they would do to Soldier Field to improve it. My take, too little too late. This is a great thing for the Bears. Whether purists like it or not, this is awesome. And every team these days is not playing in their home city. New Splash, New York Jets, New York Giants play New Jersey. Los Angeles Chargers, Los Angeles Rams play in Inglewood. They played in Carson before. Those days are over. Fans and teams want to be able to have tons of land, control it, and manage it themselves. The Chicago Park District has done a horrible job at managing Soldier Field. And now at this point, the Bears are in a position where they can move. You know, Kevin Warren was the COO of the Minnesota Vikings in the early to mid-2010s. They have a new stadium now. Who do you think did that? Who do you think made sure that happened? Kevin Warren went to the Big Ten. Who do you think made UCLA and USC come to the Big Ten? Who do you think put the Big Ten in primetime on NBC starting this year? Kevin Warren. They brought in a great businessman, a great leader, somebody who knows his stuff, somebody who's been around the game so much, and somebody who, as an executive key, knows how to get things done. Doesn't sit on his hands like Ted Phillips, who's been with the team since 1999. Everybody, I think, should be rejoicing no matter what that Ted Phillips is gone. So this is great news for the Bears, and this is something that's very exciting. 
And I appreciate the comment there, King Pookie Nation, because it's so true. This new stadium, and even this new president, is going to bring in so much more for the Bears and so many more opportunities. And with his experience and with his resume and with what we know, what he's done, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a Bears fan, I have to say. New GM, new head coach, new quarterback, new president, top overall pick, 120-plus million in cap space. That's why I say it's generational, not even golden. It's a generational opportunity. When's the last time the Bears had so much going for them? Like this. When's the last time any team in any professional sport in North America has had all this going for them? In this succession, in this order, it's really unbelievable when you think about it. New president, new head coach, new GM, new quarterback, so much money to spend, top overall pick. This is probably the most exciting time in Bears history. No other time in this team's history, which is over 100 years old, founding member of the NFL, no other time has it been this exciting. No other time has it been this monumental and momentous heading into the new year. That's why I say, can't screw it up. There's a lot of time to go. There's a lot going on. And for this Bears team, they really, they can't get it wrong. And if they do, then that goes to show you that everything they've done, all the people they brought in are incapable of doing their jobs. They're incompetent. And it goes back to the many others who've done the same thing and made the same mistakes. I just hope for the best, but I think if you're a Bears fan again, this is exciting. And for anybody who asks you about this team or what's to come or how things are going, I would really say, hey, this is the greatest opportunity the Bears have had ever in their entire history. This is it. We are watching it. We are living it. We are seeing history before our eyes. It's exciting. I just hope they do things the right way. Make a big impact come next year. <clears throat> okay. What you've all been waiting for, right? You're not all here for my Bears talk. You're not here for my expectations or should the Bears trade Justin Fields. You're here for my Hall of Fame talk. (laughs) Probably none of you are. But I will say, I could not be more disappointed in what the BBWAA has done. I could not be more livid at what they've done. I'm probably going to start yelling and screaming, and I'm going to get pretty heated here. I tried to contain my anger last night, and if any of you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, I put out some stuff about Scott Rowland and him getting in. So if you didn't know, let's let's go there first. If you didn't know what happened, Hall of Fame voting came through yesterday. So the ballots were counted. You have to get 75% of the baseball writers to vote you in to the Hall of Fame. Good friend of the program, Billy Wagner, finished in third at 68.1%. He may get in last year in his last year on the ballot. Todd Helton got 72%, which we'll talk about that in a second. But the only player to receive induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame is somebody by the name of Scott Rowland. 76.3%, 297 writers said yes to Scott Rowland. Look at the other names on this list. Jeff Kent, final year on the ballot for him. The greatest power-hitting second baseman of all time only got 46.5%. This is the same Hall of Fame, by the way, that said no to Barry Bonds, Hunter Clements, Kurt Schilling. And now the same Hall of Fame that said no to Jeff Kent still said no to Billy Wagner, 
and is continuing to say no to guys like Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran. All of them have not made it. But Scott Rowland is the one who somehow is deserving. So when you think of the greatest players in baseball history, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Greg Maddox, Cy Young, Tris Speaker, the greats from the 30s to today. Apparently, Scott Rowland belongs on that list. Scott Rowland's there. Scott Rowland is one of the greatest players in baseball history. He will have a plaque in Cooperstown. He will be there on July 4th week for Election Day, and he will be giving a speech telling everybody how grateful he is that he's being elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is not a rant or something personal to Scott Rowland, but it's just so shocking to me. Scott Rowland in his career, 2,100 hits. Scott Rowland in his career hit 281. Scott Rowland in his career had about 310 home runs. And yet somehow, some way, that's enough to get in. Somebody told me on Facebook, actually, a Baseball Hall of Fame writer, friend of the program, told me, hey, he's a third baseman. They're underrepresented. What about second base? Huh? What about Jeff Kent being the greatest power-hitting second baseman of all time? You know, 377 home runs at second base is the record. You know, had it before Ryan Sandberg, 282, and Ryan Sandberg didn't even get in on the first ballot. And Ryan Sandberg, everybody would agree today, is easily a Hall of Famer. All Cubs fans, all baseball fans would say he's a Hall of Famer. So Scott Rowland is the one who got in. I want to say this, the Hall of Fame has become a lapping stock. And it's become a situation in which every year somebody needs to get in. And if nobody gets in, it's a travesty for the Baseball Hall of Fame. So it doesn't matter if it's somebody who's in the Hall of Very Good. It doesn't matter if it's somebody who really doesn't deserve to be there. We need to get somebody in. So this year, it was Scott Rowland. And I want to mention this, and I was looking this up before the program today. Look back at some years in which nobody got in. 1964, Roy Campanella, first ballot Hall of Famer to everybody here today. He actually didn't get in. 1964, nobody got in. Luke Appling on the ballot. Brett Ruffin on the ballot. Roy Campanella on the ballot. Pee Wee Reese on the ballot. Nobody got in. None of them. But yet it's this year in which Scott Rowland gets in. Come on, let's look at other years. Let's take a look. We have to. Looking through the ballots. How about down here? 1950. Mel Oth did not get in in 1950. Jamie Foxx, 534 home runs. Not in. Nope. Not good enough. Not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. But no, in 2022, Scott Rowland is. Jamie Foxx is considered an all-time great today. Everybody knows Jamie Foxx. One of the few members at that time of the 500 home run club, not deemed good enough to get in. But this year, we have Mr. Sabermetric Darling, Mr. Fake Stat Band Scott Rowland getting in. How about 1949? Can we look at 1949? Nobody got in. Al Simmons on the ballot, who's now a Hall of Famer. Jamie Foxx on the ballot. Mel Ott again. Mel Ott again didn't get in. 
again had problems getting in? About 1936, Cy Young was not allowed in the Hall of Fame. The award, the guy whose name is the award, was not allowed in. Deemed not good enough by the voting body. Got only 49% of the vote. Cy Young. But again, Scott Rowland is good enough to get in. Because we can't have a year in which nobody's allowed. We are not allowed to have a year in which nobody gets in because it's such a black mark on the Hall of Fame. Give me a break. Scott Rowland got in before Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling, and Jeff Kent. Are you kidding me? We have years in the past in which nobody got in, and there were Hall of Famers on the ballot easily. And now this year, because it's so weak and so run down, apparently, Scott Rowland is allowed to get into the Hall of Fame. This is horrible. And at this point, okay, if Scott Rowland is allowed to be in, let everybody in. All the people who fell off the ballot, who were told they're not good enough, let them in. Make it the Hall of Fame good. You might as well do it. This is ridiculous. Other players who received some votes and who were allowed to stay on the ballot include Jimmy Rollins, Mark Burley, K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, Tory Hunter, Bobby Abreu, Andy Pettit as well. Omar Vizquel still hanging around too, although he will never get in probably because of the sexual abuse and uh, domestic abuse scandal. But my point is, Scott Rowland does not deserve to be there. He is a good player. But even, and I remember this, I was old enough to remember, when he retired, nobody said Hall of Fame. Nobody said, okay, you know what? This guy is a Hall of Fame player. He really deserves to be there. Nobody said that. Everybody just said, okay, he's gone. He's gone. And yet now here we are today, and he's in. He's in. I, I don't know what to say. Next year on the ballot, it's probably going to be Todd Helton, who sure as hell doesn't deserve to be there, and Adrian Beltre, maybe Billy Wagner. There's somebody who deserves to get in, and he's not even getting the votes. Friend of the show, Billy Wagner, taking all this time to get in because he's a relief pitcher. And the Hall is too many of those. But apparently they don't have enough third baseman. Apparently it's a really underrepresented position. Right, John? Underrepresented position. To the point that Scott Rowland... A mediocre third baseman. And yeah, I'm going to say it. He wasn't great. He was okay. He was never a primetime name. He was never that good. He's in. And I'll tell you, this goes all the way back to one thing and one thing only. Money. The Hall of Fame is now so monetized and so commercialized that every year somebody will get in. I guarantee it. You know, there was so much controversy when none of the steroid guys got in. I think that was, what, 2018, 2019, when nobody was elected and everybody was so pissed off. How about, again, we look back at the years in which nobody got in. Let's look back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. I didn't hear anybody complaining then when there were clear Hall of Famers on the ballot that didn't get in. Fergie Jenkins was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Did you know it took time for Fergie Jenkins to get in the Hall of Fame? We all agree Fergie Jenkins is a 
legendary Chicago Cubs and MLB pitcher, it took time for him to get in. It actually took time to let him in the Hall of Fame, if you can believe that. It wasn't automatic. It wasn't right away. I mean, does that make any sense to you? It took Trevor Hoffman time to get in, right? It took Edgar Martinez time. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are still not in. How do you explain to somebody who is a casual fan, this guy has the most home runs ever, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. But they just let in somebody who is a mid-level third baseman at best. And I shared this on Facebook, although nobody liked it. I sent this out. I said, okay, here's some similar players to Scott Rowland. There's an app, Baseball Reference, that shows you similarities in statistics to other players. So here are Scott Rowland's similarity scores. Matt Holliday, Paul O'Neill, Sean Green, Bobby Bonilla, Reggie Smith, Aramis Ramirez, Ron Santo, Fred Lynn, Ken Boyer, Ellis Burks. One of those guys is a Hall of Famer. Everybody else sucks. I mean, they were good, but none of them are in the Hall of Fame. And no, but everybody agrees they don't deserve to be there. And the response is always, well, what about his defense? You know what? Third base, like first base, is all about power. That's why Mark Grace isn't in. Let Mark Grace in then. Mark Grace, 2,400 hits. Great player. 300-plus batting average. He was amazing. He really was. Underappreciated. We're letting Scott Rowland in. Mark Grace, Gold Glover, great defender, great hitter. Nope, not allowed in. Not good enough. How about other players, too, like Kenny Lofton? Kenny Lofton, 600 stolen bases, 300 hitter, 2,500 hits. Dropped off in the first year on the ballot. Didn't even get 5%. Kenny Lofton, not even 5% of the vote. And yet, here we are today with Torrey Hunter getting 5%. Torrey Hunter was a way worse hitter. See, these are the things I don't understand. I wish I had a vote. And if there's one thing... I will wish for in this business even. It's a vote. I wish I had a vote because I do this the right way. This stuff sucks. These are horrible choices. And now we have to prepare for Todd Helton to get in and Adrian Beltre, who deserves it. But we have to prepare next year, prepare mentally for Todd Helton getting in the Hall of Fame. They let in Larry Walker. When they let in Larry Walker, I'm like, oh, my God. I can't even, as I sit here today, I can't believe it when I say it. Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. Larry Walker. And then here we go with the whole Joe Maurer stuff. We're going to hear Joe Maurer's name next year. Joe Maurer stopped playing catcher five years into his career. Started going back and forth. Couldn't even take it anymore. But yet he's going to go in as a catcher, and everyone's going to say he's a great hitting catcher. I could debate this stuff for hours and hours and hours. I really could. But I just wish and I hope that everybody understands why this is so bad. And I hope everybody sees this too. Just one more thing. Remember, it's okay if nobody gets in. I think, you know, there's been such a stigma around it because of the steroids. Oh, oh, because of the steroids and all the stuff that's been going on. So there's been a stigma around blank years, around nobody getting in. My thing is, that's okay. I'd rather it be exclusive and hard. should be hard to get in. Only 289 players elected by the writers in the Hall of Fame today, out of what, 60,000? Less than 1% get in. Less than 
a tenth of a percent get in. That's great. Keep it that way. Stop opening it up to people because you just feel like they deserve it. Stop voting with feelings and vote with the facts. The fact is Scott Rowland had no milestones whatsoever and got in because of feel-good stories and war. Eno Slaughter, great Cardinal player, didn't get in on the first ballot. Only got 38% in 1969. Ralph Kiner, everybody knows he's a Hall of Famer, 40.3% in the past. Not, not allowed, not good enough. Didn't deserve it. Don Sutton, 1996. Nobody got in in 1996. Don Sutton had 326 wins in his career. One of the few players ever to get 300 wins. One of the last ever to get 300 wins. Only got 64%. Was not good enough to get in. Deemed not good enough to get in. 2013, nobody got in. Schilling, Bonds, Clemens on the ballot. None of them got in. Nobody did. And last year, 2021, nobody got in. Bonds, Clemens, Schilling. Nobody got in how fun this is. <laughs> then last year, 2022, the only one to get in is David Ortiz, Mr. Steroid. He did use steroids, it's true. And apparently, we have to have selective memory on who did and didn't use. And it's okay. It's okay if somebody didn't use. Right? David Ortiz was caught using steroids in 2004 on an anonymous test. And what the writers say is the following. Well, he didn't consent to that. So what? It was discovered. I just couldn't be more disappointed in this process. And again, the one thing I ask for before I'm out of this business, I really hope one day I get a vote. Because I'm telling you right now, my gosh, I would do it the right way. If I had a vote, and I did this a couple of weeks ago, my mock Hall of Fame ballot, but as, as I sit here and look at the names today, Billy Wagner would be checked off, Jeb Kent, Jimmy Rollins, and Mark Burley, and that's it. And Mark Burley and Jimmy Rollins really are stretches, too. I like Jimmy Rollins. He won an MVP and won a World Series in Tech part of the Phillies. Good shortstop, good defender, good hitter. And Mark Burley was so consistent, had so much longevity, 14 years of 200-plus innings pitched, you'll never see that again. He might be the last pitcher to ever do it. So that's why I would elect him and vote him in. Wagner, to me, is a slam dunk. And Jeff Kent is too. Everybody else should not be there. So they elected somebody who shouldn't be there. They elected an imposter. And now the Hall of Fame is becoming a hall of imposters. A hall of very good. A hall of, how did you get in here again? And that is the problem with that. I'll get together during dinner. Think about that. You know, they do a dinner every year of the current living Hall of Famers. So Jorge Jenkins will be sitting next to Scott Rowland. Mike Schmidt, third baseman, will be sitting next to Scott Rowland. George Brett will be sitting next to Scott Rowland. Think about that. (laughs) George Brett and Mike Schmidt will be sitting next to Scott Rowland because they're all living third baseman or Hall of Famers. All at the same position. Wow. I mean, that's pathetic. That is... Just so bad. So bad for the game, you know? 
Now, we sit here and talk about integrity of the game, purism. We're talking about the greats and, oh, the Hall of Fame. Why are you letting people in who shouldn't be there? This was a horrible move, horrible election. And really, every year it just sours me because there are certain people who are just slam dunks. And really, it's obvious. Sabermetric people who love to sit there and kiss Ward's ass let somebody in like Scott Rowland, but Billy Wagner is left in the dust. Jeff Kent, who has great stats and real numbers that we could see and measure, not projections or estimates, real numbers, a real MVP award is not allowed in. Barry Bonds is the most home runs ever. Steroids or not, he was going to get in anyway. He had 440 home runs before he, quote-unquote, started using in 98 and 99. Jeff, or uh, Roger Clemens was there too. Right on the cusp, he had 198 wins before he went to the Blue Jays and started using They are getting this wrong year after year. And it's only going to get worse. And it's so political and it's so overblown. And everybody thinks they're unbelievable because they have a vote. Give me a break. They get it wrong every year. They really do. I mean, even from back in the day, again, I read you the names. Luke Appling, not in. Cy Young, not in. First ballot. They said he wasn't good enough. So for years, this has been happening. Something has to change then. Okay, if you're not electing Cy Young year one, we got a problem. And if you're electing Scott Rowland now with other players on the ballot who deserve to be there but won't get in, we got a problem. So from 1937 to 2022, every year, the Rangers have been getting this one wrong. And I love some of them. They're on my show. They're good friends of the program. And a lot of their ballots were good. David Hall came on the program. Good ballot. I liked it. Billy Wagner was on there. Bruce Miles, good ballot. Billy Wagner on there too, amongst others. But I just don't understand why 75% of these guys said, you know what, let's put in Scott Rowland. That's where I just, I don't get it. These are good people. They, they know what they're doing. I know they've covered the game for a long time, but I'll tell you what, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say Scott Rowland does not belong here. You show me a picture of George Brett, Mike Schmidt, and Scott Rowland. I'm going to tell you which one doesn't belong. We all know who doesn't belong. I just hope that in years down the road they get this right, but I'm just telling you right now, prepare for Todd Helton to be in next year and prepare for our good friend Billy Wagner to maybe not even make it. Somebody who actually deserves to be there, good guy, great player, great with the media, personable, nice guy, maybe he won't get in now. So they're getting it wrong. They talk about character. They talk about steroids. They talk about treating the media well. They talk about numbers. Guys like Billy Wagner are right there. And they have all the things that they're looking for, and yet he's not allowed in yet. But Scott Rowland, everybody's favorite guy, deserves to be there. <laughs> Take a look at some of these comments here. Uh, Cesar Ramirez, $10. Cesar, hey, I really appreciate the, appreciate the donation, man. I know I see you comment a lot of my videos. Deion Sanders once said, quote, if certain guys are getting yellow jackets, then mine needs to be a different color. And this goes for all sports. It's becoming a participation trophy at this point. I could not agree more. That's the comment of the night right there from Cesar. Comment of the night. It is becoming a participation trophy. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe in participation trophies. You've got to earn it. Earn the right to be there. We can't be letting everybody in the Hall of Fame. In the NFL, the NBA is even worse than baseball. Baseball is nothing compared to the NBA. They just let Vladdy Divac in the Hall of Fame. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm with you on that. It really is a 
participation trophy. Karen B, are you really comparing Jeff Kent to Scott Rowland? Hell yeah, I am. Oh my gosh, come on. Yes, I am. Yeah, I know Kent wasn't there defensively, but Kent has the most home runs ever at his position. Kent is a record holder for something at his position that's underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. So how can you tell me, no, he doesn't deserve to be there. He's not good enough. Everybody wants to talk about third base being underrepresented. What about second base? Same thing. If Pee Wee Reese is allowed to be in, if other players at second base who did not produce are allowed to be there, like Bill Rizzuto, Kiki Kyler, talking about guys from the 40s and 50s. I know my baseball history. If those guys are allowed to be there, then how is Jeff Kent not worthy? How is Jeff Kent not enough compared to them? You want to talk about underrepresented positions and guys who should or shouldn't be there? Go look at second base. Go look at third base, but second base too. And tell me why Jeff Kent shouldn't be there. There is no good answer. That's why, yeah, I am comparing them too. Because offensively, there is no comparison. There's no comparison. Jeff Kent's way better. Leaps and bounds better. Defensively, yes, Roland has the edge. So then it comes down to what do you value more? And what what are you both for? What's your preference? And that's why it's subjective. And at the end of the day, that's why humans are voting. Humans are imperfect. So humans are going to make imperfect choices like they did this past week. Made an imperfect choice. And now we have to sit here and deal with the consequences <laughs> of those actions. On that note, I think it'll be time to wrap it up. Appreciate everybody tuning in with us here today at Sports Talk Chicago. I just want to say, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. All right, we'll talk about the Cubs then before we wrap it up at John's Beheist. So we will talk about the Cubs. Um, one more thing uh, about them. So uh, Trey Mancini, the Cubs signed Trey Mancini to a deal uh, this past week. Two-year contract, $14 million with another $7 million in incentives. So the Cubs are going a little bit of bargain shopping here <laughs> because they spent so much money on somebody who doesn't deserve it. But I will say this about Trey Mancini. I really will say this. Um, good guy, beat cancer a couple of years ago. Uh, really nice story and actually was very good in Baltimore. A lot of people knock the team in those years because they were so mediocre. But I'll tell you what, I mean, 2019, 35 homers, 97 RBIs, 291 average. That's unbelievable. The problem is last year, he really had a power outage and even a hitting outage, hitting 239 with 18 home runs. 63 RBIs, though. If Trey Mancini can learn how to hit again, this is going to be the signing of the year for the Cubs based on value and bargain and what he brings to the table. As a good defensive first baseman, and the Cubs don't even have... Um, Frank the Tank anymore, Frank Schwindel. So they needed a first baseman and a DH. He could do both, Mancini. Just won a World Series with the Astros, played an integral role defensively. Not offensively, but defensively. So winner, has experience, will instantly contribute to that locker room, likable guy, and has known in the past how to hit. He was a top prospect for Baltimore, and I would say, considering the hype around him, he somewhat lived up to it. Even his rookie year, 293, 24 home runs, 78 RBIs. He was good. He was consistent. 147, 150 games. This past year, been 143. He has never played less than 143 games in a season. That's also impressive. So you're getting somebody who will play every day, who will hit around 20 home runs, and who may hit 300, may, with 100 RBIs, potentially. 
At his lowest point, he'll get about 15 to 20 with 60 to 80 RBIs, hitting maybe 240. But I'll tell you what, for $7 million each year, that's actually a bargain. I don't have any complaints on this. I wish he hit better. I hope he does. It'd be amazing for the Cubs and really for everybody involved for him too. I mean, he could cash in, remember, in another two years if he does well here. So it benefits everybody for him to play well. It benefits everybody for him to do well. But I do like this signing. One of the few signings that I do like by the Cubs here. This is nice. It really is nice. I like it. Didn't overpay, didn't outbid themselves like they did with Dansby Swanson. They just paid market value, actually, even a little bit less than market value. Trey Mancini could have offered and could have demanded more money easily based on his track record. Hey, I just won a World Series. I hit 35 home runs in a season. I was the Orioles' top prospect. I beat cancer. I'm a fan favorite. I'm a nice guy. He could have easily asked for more money. He didn't. Cubs got him at a bargain, similar to the White Sox and Andrew Benintendi. So I think it's kind of the same thing here where you will get a quality player at a bargain price. And I really like this move. And I like what the Cubs have done here. I have no complaints on that. We'll have to see how it works out, how he fits in, and what the Cubs plan on doing with him. I'm assuming first base and DH, mainly first base, though, because of his defense, but we'll have to see. But talk about a great bargain move, something I would really compare to Andrew Benintendi. And um, a Sox note as well. So I praised the Mike Clevenger signing in the past. Talked about how it's a bargain deal, one year, $9 million. Well, it turns out Mike Clevenger might be off the team entirely. News came out yesterday that he's under investigation by Major League Baseball for the violation of their domestic abuse policy. Clevenger apparently did some really bad things. I don't even want to talk about it on here. But the point is this. He will be off this team. He should go. And the White Sox will need another pitcher. So it's bad news for the White Sox, and what really uh, confuses me is, I guess, according to the story, his girlfriend or his wife at the time came to Major League Baseball back in July to complain about this, so the question really should be, what did the White Sox know and when did they know it? Why did they sign him if these complaints were already documented by Major League Baseball back in July? Better yet, why did he even play this year with the Padres if the complaint was filed? That goes back to Major League Baseball, too. Everybody's dragging Jerry Reinsdorf about this, but I would actually go to Major League Baseball and say, why did he even play this year when this complaint was filed before he started playing? They had Trevor Bauer sit for 194 games because of a complaint. He just got out of a suspension with no proof yet, no trial or anything like that. So there was a complaint here. Why did he play? Now, the White Sox are in a little bit of trouble there. Major League Baseball is in even, in even more trouble, but the White Sox, as far as on the field goes, they need another pitcher and quick. And I don't know what they're going to do with that. I mean, you know, they have some depth in their bullpen. They're probably going to elevate Michael Kopak to a bigger role this year, and they have Lance Lynn coming back. They have Giolito. They have guys on this roster, but I'm just saying that is a tough blow. A lot of people expected something from Clevenger. I certainly did. One year, $9 million. Last year, had about a four ERA, but dominated from 2016 to 2020 with the Guardians. So losing him is going to be a loss. And I, you know, he's not even officially released as of yet, but I don't envision him playing one game with this team. That is tough. So essentially, you lose a player and it's over. So they've lost their fourth or fifth starter. And you're going to need that role filled by opening day. I think that was a tough blow for them. 
Really, it was. Um, the accusations are bad. And as far as Clevenger goes, you know, good luck to him because he's in big trouble. But as for the White Sox and their on-the-field situation, it's unfortunate for them. Uh, that's a big loss, and they need to fill that void. And I, I just have to say this about the White Sox. <clears throat> Starting to get worried. Really starting to get worried about them. I was a huge proponent of what they've been doing this offseason. I still am. But my question is this. Maybe White Sox fans can help me here. What have they really done to improve? I know they've spent some money. Their payroll is the highest it's ever been again, $189 million. But what have they really done to improve? This team is the same from last year. Last year, they were 500. I don't know if just a brand new manager and a couple of pieces here and there are going to make them a 95-win team again. And when you look around the American League, you see everybody getting better. The Yankees are still going to be good. The Rangers are getting better. Astros are still going to be great. Twins could still be good. There are so many teams making big strides in one direction, and the White Sox are kind of staying put. Well, staying put got you 81 wins last year. So I fear for their future. And what I fear for more than even their future, even 2023, is the long-term effects. Look at the Bulls. The Bulls executed a rebuild. Things were looking good, and now they might have to tear it down again. So the rebuild ended up maxing out at a 6 or 5 seed in the playoffs. That's not a rebuild. That's a failed restructure. The White Sox are in that same situation. Win a division, two years in a row, new managers, things are looking great. And now after going 81 and 81, you make no improvements or very little improvements to your team. And you're keeping the same core. While everybody else around you is making leaps forward, you're taking a baby step. I worry about their future. And I worry about the success and the sustainability of this rebuild. Look at how many years it took them from 2008 to get back to the playoffs, and now it could be over. I'm just saying. So again, White Sox fans, maybe you can help me here, but I don't think it's looking good for them. I'm really worried about what their future holds. And I'll tell you what, it would be a damn shame if they do this whole rebuild, they ask everybody to wait, and it lasts two years. 2020, 2021. That would be a shame. I've always been high on this team. I've always been an advocate of this team because they've gone through so much over the years. Their fan base has suffered a lot, and they've finally gotten better. And winning 93 games in 2021 was amazing. But right now, they've done nothing. They've done a lot of the same, and they look the same as we sit here today. That is scary to me. And now they're losing their fourth starter due to domestic violence. I mean, this team is all over the place right now, and they need to do a lot to get back to 93 wins and winning the division because right now I don't think they're going to win the division. Guardians are playing well and better, and the Twins are still going to be up there. Then the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Royals, and the Tigers might even be better. They're in trouble. And I don't want to sound the alarms just yet. Maybe they make a couple of moves here this offseason still, and things get a little bit better. But it seems as if this is going to be the roster they're going to trot out there. And if that's the case, it could be another 81-win year. And then what are you going to do? It's going to be a second year of 500 baseball, and you just rebuild. You're going to have to rebuild again? Like the Bulls just did? 
they're in trouble. And I think a lot of people have to start acknowledging it and realizing it. And to the White Sox credit, their fans, I should say, they are realizing it and they know. A lot of them know. I've seen that all over. You know, they know this is not looking good. They know that come this year, it's not going to be amazing. But do the White Sox themselves see it? And will they make any changes to avoid it? And it seems like right now they won't. And that's scary. So I wish them the best. But they have a lot to work on themselves as well. And now losing your fourth starter again, Mike Clevenger, just makes it even worse. Well, at this point, now we will end the program. And I appreciate all of you tuning in with us here today. Uh, I just want to say it's great to be back. And again, I appreciate all of you being patient with me. Um, going through some health stuff, being sick. Everybody knows there are bugs going around everywhere. So appreciate you being patient. Big thank you to John Meadows for directing and producing and hanging out with us here today on a Wednesday night. Thank you to all of you for your comments, your likes, your subscriptions. Please do all that before you head out here today. And follow us on Twitter at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglula, Instagram, and TikTok at John Z Sports as well. One more thing, support our sponsor. Amish Country Farms for the best and the most fresh Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Head over there today with Imports Weekly from the Amish of Northern Indiana. Tell them Sport Talk Chicago sent you a checkout. They're going to take real good care of you. I promise you that. They take good care of me. Amish Country Farms is the place to be. We will be back next week with more content, with more Bears news, with more stuff going on throughout the NFL. The NFL coaching carousel is crazy. We're going to talk about that next week. What the Bears could even do. There are already some rumors about who they might sign, what they might do with the number one pick. We'll address those directly. Plus, more baseball news, of course, comes in White Sox are still active in the free agent market. So stick with us and hang with us for the best coverage in all of Chicago. A couple of surprises along the way, too. We have a new uh, voiceover thing that's going to be coming up very soon. John and I listened to the draft um, today. So we're going to probably, hopefully, debut that next week or the week after. And I think, uh, I think you guys will be in for a nice treat there as well. Appreciate all of you tuning in. We will see you soon. So long, everyone.